Okay, well, it is an extreme privilege for me to be here today, and um, I couldn't have received a, a, a better topic or more important topic to speak upon, the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Because the only reason that we ever have to talk about anything else is because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Um, let's start out by... Um, reading in Mark chapter 16, Mark chapter 16, verses 1 to 6. And we will be um, moving around in the Bible um, quite a bit today, so just keep that in mind. I hope your, your, uh, your page-turning finger is limber. Um, but it says, And when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, the mother of James, and Salome had brought sweet spices, that they might come and anoint him. And very early in the morning, the first day of the week, they came unto the sepulcher at the rising of the sun. And they said among themselves, Who shall roll us away the stone from the door of the sepulcher? And when they looked, they saw that the stone was rolled away, for it was very great. And I don't know if you realize this, but um, I've heard a lot of things about that stone and um, that it would, might even take three or four or more grown men to move that stone because it was so great. So there's some significance there. It was very great. And when they looked, okay, and entering into the sepulcher, they saw a young man sitting on the right side clothed in a long white garment, and they were affrighted. And he saith unto them, Be not affrighted. Ye seek Jesus of Nazareth, which is crucified. He is risen. He is not here. Behold the place where they have laid him. Let's open in a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege of um, opening your word today, of looking at the resurrection and of what it means to us. Lord, may we leave this building changed people, different from when we came in. And there is no more life-changing event than the resurrection of your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for that today, that the timeline of history was eternally changed because of Jesus' resurrection. In his precious name, the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Today we're going to look at three things which the resurrection is. If you're taking notes, the points that I will be going over are as follows. Number one, the resurrection is the culmination of God's plan for the redemption of mankind. Number two, the resurrection is the end of our old life and the beginning of our new life. And number three, the resurrection is our hope for the future. So those are the three points that will uh, frame our discussion today, and I uh, pray that you will be blessed by what the Lord has given to me and placed on my heart, and I'm grateful that he's given me this opportunity. The first scripture 
that we will be looking at is way back in the Garden of Eden, Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. The one thing that I have noticed through this study, well, I knew it before, but it was reaffirmed to me, is that God is a promise-keeping God. When he says that he's going to do something, he does it. And way back in the Garden of Eden, he, he showed Adam and Eve what he was going to do. He didn't say exactly how he was going to do it, but he showed them that he would bring redemption. And it says in Genesis chapter 3, 14 and 15, And the Lord God said unto the servant, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle, and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. And it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. We know that Jesus came and, and he hung on that cross, bruised and battered. And I'm sure that in some part of the regions beyond, the devil was was having a party, was laughing because he may have thought, I've won the victory. But we know that that victory didn't last because on the third day, the devil and his angels were doomed forever. For unto us, the second verse we're going to look at, it's in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. We see the, the fulfillment beginning to take shape of what God was going to do to redeem mankind. And I was thinking about this, yes, the other day, and I realized that the resurrection is in this passage too. Because it says in Isaiah 9, 6 and 7, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom, to order and establishment with judgment and justice henceforth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. The only possible way for God's kingdom, for Jesus' kingdom to last forever, is that he rose again victorious from the grave. Because some may have seen a man on the cross who was dying to live no more. But Jesus said in Revelation, I am he that liveth and was dead, and am alive forevermore. The uh, third passage I want to draw your attention to is in Matthew. Matthew chapter 1, verse 20 and 21. This, of course, is Joseph receiving his marching orders from God. And we know that he was a just man. He was a godly man. Because when he found out that Mary was pregnant, he didn't just shun her. He said, I'm going to put her away privately because even though I think 
the law would say that she needs to be stoned. I don't want that to happen to the one that I love. So I'm going to put it away privately. But it says in Matthew 1, verse 20 and 21, But while he thought on these things, Behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived of her is of the Holy Ghost, and she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. And then, of course, the, the final passage that I want to bring to your attention on this point is Matthew chapter 20, verses 17 to 19. You know, we read earlier when the women went to the tomb and the, uh, the men in shining garments told them about what Jesus had done and how it fulfilled what he said. He said they remembered his words. We know there were at least three times in his word or in his interactions with the disciples that he told them, I'm going to be crucified, I'm going to die, I'm going to be put in the grave, and I'm going to rise again. And yet the disciples um, did not believe when it first happened. But this is one of those instances that says, And Jesus, going up to Jerusalem, took the twelve disciples apart in the way and said unto them, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man shall be betrayed unto the chief priests and unto the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death, and shall deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify him. And the third day he will rise again. Once again, we, we see a promise-keeping God because Jesus said it, and it came true. Three days later, he was alive again. But, but make no mistake, he was dead. You know, some people will say, well, maybe Jesus didn't really die. Maybe he was just in a comatose state or whatever. But if you remember, it was the Sabbath the next day after the crucifixion. And they had to get the bodies off the cross. So they went and they broke the legs of, of the two criminals. But they didn't break Jesus' leg because he was already dead. And because, because the, prophet, the prophet said that none of his bones would be broken. It's kind of amazing that with all the other torture that he went through, that that would be prophesied and come true, that none of his bones would be broken. And they, went, they came to him and they found him dead. Why? Because he yielded up the ghost. No one took his life from him. He yielded up the ghost and gave his spirit into the hands of his father. And so when they came, they found him dead. Um, the, the second point that I would like to make to you today is that we're talking about the end of our old life and the beginning of our new life. I found this quote. I don't know who said it. It's an unknown quote. It says, The life Christ lived the life Christ lived qualified him for the death that he died and the death that he died qualifies us for the life that we live um, and of course we're talking about the end of sin and death and the beginning of new life in Christ um, 
And uh, the first passage I want to direct your attention to in, in that um, subject is Ephesians chapter 1, verses 17 to 21. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17 to 21. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of this calling, and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead, and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power, and might and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. So we know that because of his resurrection, we have hope not only in this life, but we have hope that a better life awaits. Um, I'm thankful that it's a life without wheelchairs. One of these days, I'm, I'm going to be able to walk, and I'm going to bend my knee and confess him as Lord to the glory of God the Father. And I'm looking forward to that day. The second passage that I would like to bring your attention to is in Romans chapter 6, verses 7 to 11. We, we, these are familiar verses, but we never want the truths of Scripture to become too familiar to us because they are rich. The Bible says in Romans chapter 6, verses 7 to 11, For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now if we be dead with Christ, we believe we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more, Death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once. But in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive through God, to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. And we um, go on to Colossians chapter 2. We just read about being alive to God. God has made us alive when we were dead and there was nothing in us. Romans chapter 5 says, While we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. So, lest any of us believe that we of our own strength have sought and found God, may we remember that. May we remember that there is no one righteous, there is none that seeks after God, but he reached down to us. And it says in Colossians chapter 2, verses 12 to 14, Buried with him into baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him, through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead, and you, being dead in your sins, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us which was contrary to us 
and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. He took our sin. You know, we think about the physical pain and torment that he went through on the cross, and it was great. But how often do we think about the other words he uttered on the cross when he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He first, God forsake his son so that he could say to us, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. And I find myself thinking about that often, but it never gets old. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And then finally on this point, in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 10, and then 13 through 19, it says, By the which we were all sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified, whereof the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us. For after he had said before, This is the covenant that I will make with them after these days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds will I write them. And their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Now where remission of these is, there is no more offering of sin. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus... I want to say something here. There are some people that believe that God will ultimately save everyone and that hell is not a distinct and real real reality for those who reject Christ. I will say without apology that this here shows us the exact opposite. Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, spread his arms open wide on the cross, had his feet hammered into the cross, had a crown of thorns put on his head, was beaten and spit upon, not because hell doesn't matter, but because hell was a reality that he didn't want any of us to have to face. And now we have the choice not to face it. And when we make the choice to reject him and slap him in the face, we have no other hope for our salvation. If there's anybody here today that doesn't know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, what better day to do it than on Resurrection Sunday? That maybe you could have a personal resurrection in your own life. That he who was dead is now alive through the power of Jesus Christ. It could be easy for me to say that because 
I've grown up with many of you and know many of you that that I'm assured of your salvation and I I believe that that you are most most of you have trusted Jesus Christ but some of us sometimes it's easy to be a good faker to other people but the one person that you cannot fake with is Jesus Christ the Bible says early in his ministry that it it was said of him that he knew the hearts of men and needed that no one tell him about them because he knew their hearts and he often would address the Pharisees based on what's going on in their hearts and why that didn't wake them up to the truth I don't know but if someone was telling me the very thoughts that I was thinking that would definitely wake me up but that's the difference between a believer and an unbeliever because the Bible says that the cross is foolishness to them that perish the third is especially blessed to the believer because it is our hope for the future that's the third point we're going to talk about and this uh, gentleman had this to say um, let every man and woman man, man and woman count himself immortal let him catch the revelation of Jesus in his resurrection let him not merely say Christ is risen but I shall rise the first passage that I want to address in this point is 1 Thessalonians 4 14 through 18 for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him for this we say by the word of the Lord that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and so shall we ever be with the Lord wherefore comfort one another with these words I I'm looking forward to the resurrection because I'll see my grandfather who I never met who had a legacy of of godliness that was carried on through my father and who my brothers and I hope in the future myself are carrying on even to the next generation there is no greater treasure than to have godly parents and grandparents who are teaching you the words of truth the way to shun heaven and shun hell and to embrace heaven no greater treasure so if you have christian mothers and fathers and grandparents thank him today because some people aren't that fortunate 
And then 1 Corinthians 15, we read part of it this morning. 1 Corinthians 15, 53 to 57. This is one of the sweetest promises in the scripture for me as I deal with my daily struggles. It says, For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall put on incorruption, and this mortal shall put on immortality, then shall he be brought then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. It doesn't say this corruptible might put on incorruption. It says this corruptible must put on incorruption. It doesn't say death might be swallowed up in victory. It says death is swallowed in victory. It's the affirmative. And the person making the promises to us is God himself. God said to the children of Israel, and it's just as true today, I am not a man that I should lie. He does not lie. In conclusion, turn with me to Acts chapter 1, verses 10 and 11. This is after Jesus had arose, and then he ascended back to his father, and what a wonderful 40-day period that must have been for the disciples and for his mother you know God must have not, not thought that we needed to, to see the direct reunion between Jesus and his mother but I'm sure she was very excited to see her son alive again and more importantly her savior um, but in Acts chapter 1 verses 10 and 11 it says and while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. He's coming again. He is coming again. And I am very excited about that. And yet, part of me sorrows because I have relatives and friends that would not be ready to meet him. I, I saw a post by one of my friends on Facebook and it said, you know, there's been these posts coming out that have been trying to counter the traditional beliefs about Easter being bunnies and or trying to counter the bunnies and jelly beans culture of modern day Easter 
and I had this uh, Facebook friend that did her own post and she was talking about how how Easter was about uh, bunnies and and that that we should just uh, enjoy basically this time of, of frivolity and my heart ached because this day shows us the most wondrous reality of all that the Son of God who came to earth lived a perfect life died a horrible death rose again and is even now seated at the right hand of God interceding for us the Bible says that we are we are give we are besieged not to sin but that if we sin we have an advocate with the Father Jesus Christ the righteous my friend somebody whose dad can't advocate for you but somebody who is alive who has conquered death who has paid the ultimate penalty he and he alone can intercede for you he can show his nail scarred hands and say I paid for this person's sin and he will one day square off in the ultimate battle with the accuser of the brethren and he will emerge victorious that is the hope that we live with today and there was a time, I think specifically in the first century, where one way that Christians would identify themselves with one another is with the simple phrase, He is risen. And the affirmative, He is risen indeed. And so today, as I leave you, I leave you with these words. He is risen. He is risen indeed. And all God's people said, Amen. Thank you very much. Could we maybe, as we transition, sing number 163?